0: Today's topic is Supply Chain Disruptions Are Here to Stay with my friend Steve Elwell. How's it going, Steve?
1: Hey, it's going pretty well, Joe. How about
0: you? Doing great, doing great. Thank you so much for joining me. Steve has been on my podcast many times. He's a very good friend and uh, I've talked to him a lot during the week and uh, we, we've been bouncing a lot of different ideas around lately and uh, I really wanted to talk to him about the supply chain disruptions. He's, he's very close to this stuff as, a, as am I just from my conversations. And, um, I think there's some interesting things happening and they seem to be happening very rapidly. So we'll get into that. But before we do that, Steve, please introduce yourself and what you do and where you're at.
1: Well, if you've listened to any of the other podcasts, uh, traditionally I've been involved in organizations dealing with significant amounts of change. Right now I'm working with a company called Haxlar, and uh, we're in the business of overseas sourcing. And uh, we do a a wide variety of things, machining, castings, moldings, tools, you know, the typical sorts of things that that have traditionally been sourced out of Asia, as well as in uh, other places in the world.
0: What industries do you guys serve
1: Oh, just about any industry. We're pretty much industry agnostic at this point. So it could be anything from a uh, coffee machines to occasionally sporting goods. It can be heavy equipment. It can be all kinds of different things.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about you. Just give us that back of the napkin career highlights.
1: Well, I was an executive search consultant. I owned my own firm for not quite 11 years. I've been CEO or COO now at this point of at least seven organizations I've run sales I've served industries from medical device and aerospace to you know engineering services to robots you name it just a wide variety of things usually in a in a general management role
0: you have been there done that got the hat so <laughs> I want to talk today a little bit about this this topic so Steve let's talk first about again supply chain disruptions are here to stay and by the way guys when when Steve and I were kind of prepping for this we recognize the nature of this is such a big topic that this what applies to one person won't apply to the next there is no one size fits all so your individual results will vary <laughs> so yeah. so so but these are these are big macro things that are changing and i think that it really does require anybody in logistics and supply chain to take a close look at what you're up to so steve get us started what is the first thing we want to talk about which i think is short term concerns
1: well yeah there are the fact the fact of the matter is is that there's a lot of things changing all at once and and they're big okay you know, the easy ones if we go back and talk about you know, two years ago, two and a half years ago, we started seeing the the whole COVID thing, and all the and all the issues that that created the stimulus, which uh, you know clearly created, you know, a, a monetary policy driven inflation. You add to it the disruptions in the availability and changes in demand patterns that created a demand based and or supply shortage type of an inflation. On top of that, you can so there's an enormous. It, Political. I mean, there's all kinds of things that all happened at the same time. And they're all short-term issues and they're all reverberating through the, the domestic and global economy. And they're reverberating in ways that are not easily predicted.
0: Right. Yeah. When you talk about like the, for, you know, for the first big chunk and you kind of alluded to it, this economy and the inflation, as soon as that inflation goes up, oh, I've had customers kind of all of a sudden look and say, oh, I need to reconsider some things. People are going to reconsider big purchases when that inflation goes high. People are losing their jobs for the first time in a while. Uh, we're seeing some economic issues. And I think the, the challenge with COVID, and you talked a little bit about it, is we could no longer easily predict supply and demand. What we were buying during the lockdowns seemed like, okay, we can't buy a car, we can't go on vacation, we can't go to a restaurant, but we're going to buy tons of home improvement stuff. I'm going to buy myself a new laptop. I'm going to buy myself all the zoom stuff. Right. So that created an inventory problem that we're still having to work through right now. And which has caused some challenges for a lot of companies.
1: It created, it created supply chain issues and that the demand changed faster than the supply chain could respond. And it created shortages. I mean, that, and that's in the logistics space. I mean, that's happening everywhere. And you know, that creates inflation. It creates, it creates an, an, an unavailability of goods that have, I mean, if it's, if it's 99% complete and the 1% is not there, it's hard to sell because it doesn't, and depending on what it is, it might not function, whatever that product is. At the same, at the same time, what you have, and you touched on it a little bit, is that, you know, wages, prices will always in, will always increase faster than wages and as a consequence of that you see you see demand destruction in products as the as people are no longer able to afford the kinds of things that they were bef- you know they're able to afford before because it's it's more it's growing more expensive faster than their ability to pay for it so that in and of itself that creates changes in demand you can say it directionally it's down and you can say that there are going to be certain things that are going to be you know affected by that and there, I mean, cause that's happened before and we've seen that. There are other things happening here that, that we really haven't seen before. You know, and, and this is sort of the near term. This is some of the other stuff we'll talk about later, but issues of, uh, issues of demography, issues of the ability to move, to move product. I mean, we're seeing, you know, right now with, with the war in, in, uh, in Ukraine with the Russians. And the fact that, that there's a port there that nobody can, you know, in Odessa that nobody can really access because nice. it's a war zone. Well, okay. What is that doing? What is that doing for demand and inflation? And there's a lots of other things like that. I mean, there's many, many, many of those things out there.
0: Yep. And so we touched on a few things related to kind of the very near term, and that some of this is just the economics, the inflation, COVID. COVID ain't done yet. By the way, I've said a few times we're on the tail end of COVID, and then I got COVID. So I'm convinced COVID is listening to my podcast. So I'm not going to say it's over. I was looking at the Wall Street Journal today. There are still lockdowns in China. So we do have near term problems with supply out of China and then I do think Steve we talked a little bit about and I don't want to cover too much of it because it's probably a whole separate podcast but the political stuff that's happening one is uh, the owner operators in California sure. which uh, bigger ports they they now have to be classified as employees it's uh they and that is it's sig- sig- significant probably in the near term I think we'll figure it out at some point
1: if you're constitu- you know political political decision making is different from economic and you know sort of results decision making right in order for a politician to to keep his job or her job as the case may be they have to do right by the people that put them there now if if you're if you've been put there by by a constituency or or a group That feels that California truck drivers need to be employees and and shouldn't be, shouldn't be 1099 or or gig economy people. Well, that's the way you're going to vote. And that's what you're going to go for. Now, that said, if that, if that means that they've taken some amount of logistics capacity off from the port and out of California. Well, I mean, maybe they cross that bridge when they come to it. I mean, and the rest of us too.
0: I mean, right. And Steve, you know, another thing, and and this is, again, I don't want to get into the political side of it, but there's people who are, in California is one of those states, but the current administration believes that, hey, look, we need to get more green and we're going to force that. We're going to force that by tamping down production of fuel out out of the U.S., which is, again, it's the choice. And that has driven the cost of fuel up. And I know uh, others would say it's the war. There's no doubt that our energy policy has changed under, under President Biden. And again, a lot of people would say, that's great. That's what we need to do. And we're going to bite the bullet. But it, it does cause some, some supply chain disruptions in the short term because the price of gas.
1: Well, what do we, Well, I mean, what is the price of diesel as a percentage of operating on a truck? It's right up at the top. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, you and I know we've talked about, you know, alternative fuels in, in, in over the road trucks, natural gas and so on. The fact is that that there are policies that are out there that that cause fuel prices to go up and we can debate about whether or not those are good things. There is, you know, electricity, there's wind power. And these things all have their own solar and they all have their own different profile of how they produce the energy that they produce in the end there has to be an agreement between how the energy is produced and how it's used and there are a lot of people out there who want to tell you that well you use too much of this or too much of that and you know and and you know just live with it or whatever and that's fine i mean they can the people are entitled to believe however they want but i think there are other people out there who are like this is stuff is too expensive <laughs> and we yeah. don't like it and we want it all over here uh, don't we right exactly and and they feel differently about it now one thing is for sure if you want to talk about electricity whether it's wind turbines or whatever solar look they they don't it's not base load power it just isn't you can't just turn it on and turn it off you know there are and there'll be a solution to that they'll you know the the rubber will meet the road reality of of that decision will and you know yep it, it will definitely You know make its power felt in the people who make these decisions
0: right so again today's topic supply chain disruptions are here to stay and we're talking about first off we talked about these short-term concerns and i think we're all living through the economy that's that's different we have inflation covid and its impacts are still being felt in too much of some inventory not enough of other inventory supply and demand signals are off we got some political issues and, and we're going to have to get through those. And I think we're kind of all, most of us are aware of these. We, we talk about these every day.
1: These, these are just, these are just, these are specific areas that create chaos. <laughs> right. And, and there are a lot more. I mean, we'll use, I'll use the electricity thing. We'll go back to that for a second. You know, you can't run a molding operation or a machining operation or any manufacturing operation without electricity. Right. If, you know, I live in Michigan. And, you know, the, the news has been talking about how in the Midwest, there's going to be, they're going to be having rolling blackouts. Well, okay. That's, you know, if you're the power <laughs> company, you do what you do. But I can tell you that a lot of the power contracts that manufacturers have, there are, there are, they can be forced. And I, and I've been in a situation where they do this. They, you can be forced to turn everything off. And if you don't, if you don't, the bill that you will receive is, astronomical I mean put you out of business kind of bill power bill for nothing and so if if your power is not is not done properly it has to be predictable and stable right I mean again this and this goes back It's and it's different all over the world it's different from state to state you know it's it, there's all these inputs that need to that need to be relatively stable and in order to get, it, because your your manufacturing and your supply chain are built on top of those structures. And if they're built on stuff that's unstable, well, then then those, then those your supply chain is unpredictable. And the more steps you put in the supply chain, the more unpredictable it becomes.
0: Yep. Steve, let's switch gears and talk a little bit. So I think most of us are aware of these, these short-term concerns that are causing disruptions. Most of us are living with them day to day. Well, let's talk about these near-term concerns that really I think I'm start. I started hearing about it. I'll say a year ago. I started talking to you probably a year ago, and these are these near-term concerns, and the, and these are these are global realignments that are going to change the way we source stuff around the world. So, talk a little bit about. I'll I'll call it the changing of the global order.
1: <laughs> well, the things that we just talked about right now are happening everywhere, and the drivers the drivers. So the specific drivers of those things are, I mean, they're broadly classified into five, six, seven things, right? I mean, again, Peter Zion has done some excellent work in this.
0: By the way, I, I will put a link to Peter Zion on YouTube and some of his books. He spells his last name, what? How long does he spell it? Z-I-E-H-A-N. Z-I-E-H-A-N. Yeah. He's a brilliant geopolitical guy.
1: He's excellent. And and he so, but what he de- what he's dealing with are the issues, there are issues there are drivers that cause these things to happen, and 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 they're big, right? I mean, he taught you know it's demographics, it's it's things like global order, it's geography, you know, there's there's a whole range of things, and different countries have different situations that they're in, and they're they're trying to accomplish their own goals, and when you go out and you try to look at a supply chain and you say, well. Let's, you know, let's talk about, let's talk about, you know, a stable environment. Well, you can build these long supply chains. You can build all these things in here because the environment that they're operating stay. Yeah. And the operation, the operating, it's stable. The supply chain is fine. You can, you know, you can get your pears or whatever from South America and send them to China and, you know, that whole thing. Right. Get away with it. Well, when things get chaotic... We can't do that anymore
0: because well, we learned that last year, right during uh, when all of our stuff stuff was either stuck in plants in China or somewhere in Asia, and then either that stuck on the ocean or stuck at the port.
1: Right, and it, the the problems were new then, and so they hadn't had a, nobody had much of an opportunity to go to work on them and start to solve them. They're they're a little older now, and we're getting better at some of this, and, and some of the initial disturbances in the environment have settled down okay which is fine but that doesn't mean there aren't going to be new ones coming along and you know you know we wanted to talk about china on this and you know china's got clearly has some really serious challenges going forward and who knows what's going to happen with them you know there's at the 35,000 foot level it's like okay fine let's let's just get the hell out and, and, and not worry about it you know you know and just kind of you know we'll be we'll be set well but that's not an easy decision. Right. And how are you making it? And are you jumping from the frying pan into the fire when you don't make it properly?
0: Right. So let me let me ask you, let's go f- few, through a few things. So first off, in many cases now, China is not the lowest cost producer. And this is pre-COVID even. Sure. They're, and part of the reason they're no longer the lowest cost producer is their demographics changed. And in general, the world is getting older. And in China's case, they're growing older, much faster than any country in the world, and even Japan. And when you t- when you wanna pr- produce as a low cost, you need young people. Old people cost them more, right. right? And they have a shortage of people. Uh, a lot of it's rela- related to the one child policy where they prevented people from having more than one kid.
1: They have a gender imbalance in all things that are bad.
0: And so basically, they're, when we talk about their demographics, and this is a lot of it's from Peter Zion, but he's not the only one talking about it. Their population was at 1.3 billion. I just read India became 1.4 billion, which is more than China. Sure. China's population is shrinking, and I think they hit a number in uh, 2003 where they started going the other way. And they're going to be half the size potentially in the next 20, 30 years. Well, when your population halves in size, it causes some problems. And I think we can also say this, they have political challenges there where they have the, the Communist Party that does not want to lose control and they will not lose control. So they are making changes and perhaps they're related to these challenges who knows what they how they think
1: well yeah i mean there's a whole there's a whole raft of these things that they're that they're facing and they're and they're really dangerous to them and, and
0: anybody dealing with them
1: well <laughs> y- yeah but so but but the, but they're not but they're not monolithic either and right. that's and that's the that's that's kind of the point of all this it's like look you know we can say that we can talk about and that we can generalize about you know 1.3 billion people probably we need to be a little careful of that exactly you know and and those things can be true but you know in the you know as I've been as I've been getting in and working with these new guys there are you know it's like well you know we go to China because we want to do labor arbitrage we're looking for that cheap product that cheap hour of labor well okay this has been going on now for 30 or 40 years and there's a lot of things and I'll just use the US as an example there are a lot of things in the United States that that we used to make and we don't really make them anymore and it's been long enough now where we don't have people here who do that. We don't have companies who
0: do that. T-shirts are a good example. I've, I I think I heard uh, Kid Rock say he wanted to make yeah. made, in, made in the U.S. T-shirts. And so he says there is nobody making T-shirts. But I, I suspect there is by now, but there was not a few years ago. It's
1: not just T-shirts.
0: Ball caps, you name well, it. Well, <laughs> we were talking
1: about so... so I think we were having a conversation relative to, you know, it's been Apple's been getting a lot of getting a lot of press for having their most of their supply chain in China. Well, it turns out, and it's not just them, it's others, too. There's a whole there's a whole set of skills and manufacturing capabilities that go along with being able to make a cell phone and, or a smartphone. And um, it's an infrastructure that builds over time, isn't it? Well, it is. And and, there, and it's a set of skills and and abilities that go along with that, and there's other things too. I just picked that one because it's you know it's out of the it's all over you see it so much. But what that means is is that you know let let let's say for the sake of argument, you want to have a micro a micro um, forging done. It's not really done in the U.S. I mean, there's no particular. I mean, it is. I'm sure there's somebody out there doing it. But but as a as a as a as a matter of you know, utility, I mean, that's something that gets put into a smartphone and in in personal electronics. And that's like. So that capability exists in in there in Taiwan and other places. And it's like, but it doesn't exist here now. And and the point that I'm trying to make with this is that it's not just price. It's it might not you might not be able to buy it, that the skill set might not be here. It might not be in Europe. It might not be in your traditional places. And no matter what else is happening in China, if you want that or need that or that's what your design calls for, well, guess what? You either have to you either have to stand up that capability in, a, in the Americas or wherever you want to produce it, or you have to use the capacity that exists in China or somewhere else.
0: Right, Steve. I would also suggest that you know, as we do make these big changes, and these are seismic changes. So I want to open up a new facility, and maybe I want to open it here in the United States, or maybe I want to open it in Mexico, particularly if I want to open it here in the United States, not only do I have to deal with the usual challenges of finding the right site and hiring people and training people and getting uh, uh, the machines up to speed, but there are probably environmental concerns and the not in my backyard concerns that don't that we've not, we've kind of given up on. For many, when I was young, it used to be always talk about your Nicky you can't build that factory here. You don't ever hear that anymore. Those factories are built somewhere else. <laughs> As we bring this home, and somebody says, "Hey, we're going to build a a factory to make stampings or whatever down the street," you're like, "Whoa, wait a sec! Not in my not in my nice neighborhood." Well,
1: you, well, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, look, every place, every place on that you're going to assemble, you know, where your wherever your supply chain is, whether it's all domestic or you know whatever. There's a whole range of, there's a range of pluses and minuses that go along with that location. And the issue that you have to address is what are those pluses and minuses and how do I deal with them? And how do I put those things together in a way that works well for my business? In other words, I get the quality, I get the delivery, I get the robustness. You know, the supply chain itself needs to be robust because again, you know, the the environment is chaotic and, and cost and all that. So I get the best comp or I get the combination of things That, that allows me to produce and make money and satisfy my customers. And it's different everywhere. And, and with all this, with all this chaos, that list of things is getting longer. Right. And that means that the amount of work required to, to adjust because a lot of the supply chains that were long that are now in chaotic environments are breaking. And we've been seeing that over the last few years. Those have to, those have to shorten up they have to become more robust in other words they have to be able to co- to compensate for the chaos of the environment that they're in without breaking
0: which is a lot easier if i say my my supply chain moved back from say let's say i most of it going to china I move it to Mexico. In Mexico's in my time zone. <laughs> I can be down there. I can I can take a truck there. I don't have to worry about the ocean there.
1: Yeah. So what? So so here's the fun part about that. It's, that's actually a yes and a no because you're in Mexico. You're going to be better on some things and you'll be worse on others. Right. And it's the it's the totality of it and your ability to deal with each of these things that allows you to to, to create something that's actually going to work.
0: And and let me give some context. I just saw this, it was in the Wall Street Journal, and they quoted a McKinsey study, McKinsey and company, and it was saying 20% of supply chain executives surveyed by McKinsey said they brought some production home in the last year. And then 30% said they added suppliers near in nearby countries, which I'm thinking is China or the US or
1: sure. They're getting they're shortening up the logistics part. So these these by the way, these numbers
0: doubled over last year. So 20, 30% of the supply chain executives, that's a massive number. And, and I want to get back to a little bit of the risk that we're seeing in China. So there's definitely a political change at the top. The current administration is not the same one we had 10 years ago. They are not as open. And, and actually, they're seeming, this is anecdotal, but I watched some stuff on YouTube yesterday. And it was talking about people who had lived in China for many years, but they were foreign, especially during COVID. They've got some hostility to foreigners. They're obviously saber rattling. And some of the saber rattling is due to some challenges in-house. All of a sudden, if I can make the U.S. or Taiwan the bad guy, I, I, I take people's attention off the fact that the power grid shut off their uh, Far their uh elevator and they have to go walk 40 flights of stairs. <laughs> sure.
1: Look, look, they're not, you know, it's not just the supply chains that have to cope with this stuff. It's the political leadership. It's, it's all kinds of, it's the business community. It's the individual, you know, there's going to be other institutions in these countries that are going to have to deal with this stuff and they're going to have to change. And, and they're going to do different things, some of which we're going to agree with and some of which we're not going to. Some of it's going to be directed at us and, you know, you know, clearly we won't like that. But these are all, these are all the things, these are all things that will, that will, that will impact your supply chain. Like if, if, if the political risk to your operation goes up within a particular, you know, geography, well, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna take that into account. I mean, if it, you know, you're going to access to talent, what does it cost? If you have to, hey, whatever, what I'm making is big and it's in China or somewhere else, it has to go on a ship. So, well, okay, is it something, you know, that's different than where I can put it on a plane. I mean, and and so the risks, there are risks inherent to whatever the product is. There are very large castings that get produced in Asia and and they're very, very heavy and they're very expensive and they're low margin kinds of products. And it's like, well, okay. I mean, is it is it at some point, is it economically feasible to even be involved in that? Because at some point you say, well, now I've got working capital. I've got all these other things that I need to address because I need to make money at this while I'm satisfying my customer. And at some point, also the the financial and investment analysis that goes along with this doesn't work. And not everywhere, but in some products. And those are going to be things that get you know, there'll be the production capacity itself will move. Yep. And because it's like, it's not the local production costs are such a small part of of the overall financial cost risk profile, you know, picture of that product that you can't do it that way anymore. And there are other ones, there are other ones that don't have those issues. And there are other ones that, you know, there are other industries. I mean, if you're making a a steel plant or a fertilizer factory. I mean, there's an enormous capital expenditures. And and they don't happen overnight. Yes. Training a workforce doesn't happen oh, overnight. Right, exactly. There's lots of those things. And it's like, okay. And by the way, finding people to go,
0: I say this all the time: the United States has become a, a very successful country. You think of your son, son and daughter, they aren't heading for a factory. They aren't heading for a job like that. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I i know your kids they aren't going there yeah. and i know our mine and i think we this is the challenge you know by the way when my uh, grandparents and great grandparents came out of the coal mines and got to the factories in detroit it must have seemed like nirvana you're making all this money and nobody's getting black lung and nobody dies sure It was a nice life. I don't want to work in a factory. And I think that there's so many opportunities to do other work now. You get a little bit of, you take a class or two and all of a sudden you're an IT guy. Or I can do work in the gig economy delivering food for decent money. And so I think one of the challenges we're seeing, we're going to see is not only learning these new businesses businesses that we did 50 years ago as we're bringing them home and maybe some of the answer will be in Mexico but th- there again there's no one-size fits all in this stuff
1: these are just trends I mean the, the point that the point that I'm trying to make in a, in a lot of this is that is that your individual situation is going to dictate what you need to do what your right. product is like where it is margins investment you know demand profile all these different things are going to come together. And and it's like, OK, some of this stuff, some of, and then the ease of moving the availability of product of production and the ease of or difficulty of moving that production. And this is going to generate a sequence of changes and it's going to generate a lot of work because as all of these sourcing decisions get reevaluated based on, again, risk, finance and all these different things, these these it's going to generate an enormous amount of work. And then the issue is. Okay, when do I do what? Okay, so what do I do, and when do I do it? I would say start evaluating now, and <laughs> you figure that out, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a, I mean, there's a pretty well-worn path, you know, ABC, and you know, you, you, it depends, you know, you, you know, what court do you want to judge this in, right? Is it cost or, you know, all these different things,
0: but you're gonna have, they're gonna have to do this. And, and by, by the way, I should also mention we're talking just about China. I think, and this, is, I'm gonna base a lot of this on what I've read. None of it's set in stone. We're talking about the future, so who knows? It seems as if there's significant issues in China. So it, so you might not have a choice about this. The timing, we're going to have a choice, but there, again, it's not going to impact everybody, but it's going to impact a good chunk of supply chains. And by the way, I think it's 50% of the, the world's supply chain steps happen in China, largely assembly, but they're doing a lot of stuff that we no longer do. So. This is going to be this is going to be a big deal.
1: Well, and what well, is a big deal? And and it, look, it's going to be a, it's not going to be a big deal just there. It's going to be a big deal everywhere.
0: Yeah. Let's sw- speaking of which, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about Russia and the Ukraine.
1: Okay. Yeah. They're they're <laughs> what a mess. Yeah. I mean, it's their their issue is that they produce raw. I mean, they re- they produce raw materials. They produce food, and you know, they produce fertilizer. They produce metals, they produce all of that stuff.
0: Steve, talk a little bit about the fertilizer for just a sec.
1: Okay, so this comes right out of the Zion thing, but it's he's absolutely right. So there's three kinds of fertilizer out there. There's potassium fertilizer, which comes from from potash, which is mined. There is nitrogen fertilizer, which is produced from natural gas. Right? And then there is um, phosphate fertilizer, which is mined. Okay. So you need these fertilizers in order, to, for, these fertilizers are used in food production. This is production. how we feed the world. <laughs> yeah. It's used in food production to improve the yield, the crop yield of marginal and, you know, other soils. So you add them. Yeah. In other words, you add the fertilizer to your soil and your plants grow better and they make more wheat or whatever it is, soybeans or whatever it is you're growing on there. If your land, if your agricultural lands are marginal and you don't have access to fertilizer, then you're not going to get crop yields. So you're not going to get food. You're not going to get as much food from that land. Now it turns out, it turns out that, that Belarus is, is, is huge in potash. They're also large. Russia is also large in, in phosphate and they're large. And because of their natural gas, they have plants that make, that make nitrogen fertilizer. We do a lot of that too um there are there are plants that are being looked at to be pretty made in or built in other areas but it's going to take a while additionally with the closing of the port you can't get the stuff out of there you can't get the food out of there so you can't get and then you have international sanctions and then you have this other thing where all these countries and the or all these companies in the world have all decided they have no interest in participating with the russians because they think they're customers so there's a effectively a kind of a boycott going on so the net of all of that is all of those all of those products raw materials resources that were coming from russia are no longer coming from there which is going to generate a shortage which has generated a shortage including again natural gas we heard the thing with the the nord stream being closed down for mate, quote unquote maintenance just the other day so so
0: cut to the chase we have less fertilizer and we have when you have that less fertilizer we're going to have we're going to have fewer crops and by the way, we were talking before we hit record. One of the reasons Arabs, the Arab Spring Rebellion began was a grain shortage.
1: The prices of food, yeah.
0: Yeah, and and you know, here in the United States in particular, and I think probably most of the people listening to this podcast aren't missing meals. But, and I could afford to lose a few, miss a few meals, but I think if you start having crop shortages around the world, it cr- creates a, a ton of political unrest, which creates what? Yeah, worse. Supply chain disruption. So people need to eat and they fight when they don't, get, when they don't eat. So we're potentially looking at famines. We're, we're certainly looking at a lot of problems. And by the way, I'm going back a l- little bit. So we've talked about the demographic problem that China has, which is this really low birth rate and they're getting old fast and Russia is getting old very quickly. So is the Ukraine. This this war and this is right. I Peter, Peter Zion predicted this war. In, I read one of his books, uh, Accidental Superpower in 2014. He talked about Russia invading the Ukraine by 2020. And, and one of the reasons he talked about it is if they don't do it, then they will have a problem putting up enough soldiers you think of Russia as this huge country with all these people, but they are increasingly older. And so basically this, this kind of, uh, this, this conflict is related to demographics. And I think, It could be the end of both these countries as we know them right now. I don't know.
1: Maybe. I mean, probably. I mean, in the, in the medium, in the medium term, what I'll tell you is this, is that these countries, these countries produce and export a lot of raw materials, food and metals and other, and energy. Okay. When they're not doing that and there's less supply of those things, it creates, it causes the prices of that stuff to go up and, and the availability of it can be, you know, it'll, it's going to disrupt supply chains. So here's a fun one for you. We were talking earlier that it takes, that you, that it takes electricity to make stuff. Okay. So the Germans are obviously very big buyers of Russian natural gas. And it's like, okay, they're starting to mine coal again there and which is again, a very dirty version of it in there, in there. But what happens in, in their export? So, you know, you've got. You know, Mercedes and BMWs and all the different nice things that come from Germany. Well, all those plants, there's lots of robots and those plants can't make that stuff if they don't have a reliable source of power. I mean, what if, I mean, what if, what if they start having power problems? I mean, and they, and they went to renewables very, very heavily. It's like, you know, that, you know, we're talking about rolling blackouts maybe in Michigan, right? Oh, okay, fine. Well, what, why wouldn't, you know, the same thing can be true in a country like that. And and they don't just produce cars; they make a lot of other stuff that goes into other products too. You know, they're not just they're just not just end products, and it's like that everywhere. And and by the way, the, what what
0: we've learned over the last few years is how how potentially fragile our supply chains are. But also, I heard this quote out the, the other day, and it was cars have thirty thousand parts in them, and if you're missing one, yeah, one part you have a very expensive paperweight sitting in the parking lot. Sure. <laughs> and we had that with the chip shortage.
1: Yeah, try to get a heated seat now.
0: Right. So Steve, I'm gonna summarize and then I wanna talk about what we can do about this. So first off, we talked a little bit about the short-term concerns, which I think most of us are living and kind of aware of, but that would include the economic situation here and abroad, in a the inflation. It also is the COVID, which has caused really difficult supply and demand signals, hard to predict. We also have excess inventory of some stuff and not enough of other stuff. We also have some political issues with the drivers, driver, the California drivers. And I think we also have the, I'm going to call the fuel issue a a political issue, and maybe it'll go away. Maybe we'll figure out something out. Next week that, so those are short-term concerns. Next week just talked about near-term concerns. And these are, these are things that are emerging and they're happening very quickly. And it is the challenges half of our supply chain steps are in China. We are very dependent on China for a lot of assembly. It's typically lower end work, but sometimes it's higher end work, but usually it's on the lower end of the production. And we've gotten used to those that inexpensive supply of goods out of China. And it was very reliable until recently. And that stuff is at risk. And the reason it's at risk is perhaps it's the demographics and the politicians there right now. But they also have significant financial issues there. They have some environmental issues, especially a shortage of water there. They have lots of blackouts there. And they've been having COVID lockdowns even now, and they will continue to because their vaccine is not as effective as ours. Yeah. So and then we talked a little bit about r- what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. And again, some of this is related to this global order that we got so used to working really well it is breaking down and by the way peter zion talks about this is the end of globalization the globalization served a purpose but the united states has largely provided the safe oceans at some point if the united states pulls back and says we don't need to do that worldwide and by the way you hear a lot of people saying why do we spend so much on defense and other countries saying why is the u.s always here if the u.s pulls back into just our, our our hemisphere It's gonna be a lot harder to do business the way we've gotten used to doing business. So Steve, enough of my blather. What should we all be doing right now today?
1: Well, the first thing you should do, the first thing you should do is take a look at your supply chains and what you really need. I would start with that. Why are you buying from the places that you're buying from? And if if, if the only answer you can come up with is it's cheaper,
0: Or we got, or it's been there for a long time.
1: (laughs) Right. Maybe, maybe you want to dig a little deeper and, and, and really take a good hard look because a cheap product that you can't, a cheap part that you can't access doesn't do you very much good. Yep.
0: Steve, if I could add something to that, we, we had assumptions. We did something 20 years ago and we got used to it and it wasn't a problem. And so we didn't have to worry about it. Now I think we have the ability to kind of go back and say, well, let's do some scenario planning. What if? What if we had another wave of COVID? What would happen? Are we safe, right? And I think if you start asking yourself the right questions, and only you know those are the right questions to ask, maybe you come up with some new answers.
1: Well, yeah, you have to understand what it is you're trying to get from your supply chain. Because yeah, it's about about understanding what it is you're actually getting, okay? And it's not, it's so, hey, it's reliable, it's quality, it's the price that I want, Right? The delivery is is right. It's a process that that only I can get in one place. So it's the right process. From it's, it's it. The manufacturing fits my design really well. Right. There's something else about it. There's a, a logistics or a you know advantage when you're when you're
0: doing sourcing. And again, I remembered when I was still in automotive, we would look sometimes, and I, I did this equation many times. The expel spreadsheet. You do it in Mexico do it in China, do it in the US. Now doing in the US, the transportation costs are really low, but the labor costs are high, right? right? By do it in China, the labor costs are high, but the transportation costs are are much higher. And I think you have to go back and do those trade-offs because that's really what you're doing is trade-off. And for a lot of businesses, they're finding out, you know what? If if we can get rid of that one month on the ocean, we can get rid of if, by the way, extra companies are right now holding extra inventory, why? Uncertainty, risk. Well, and they're going to continue to do that, right? But, but, but if I if I can move my supply chain, let's just say to Mexico or the U.S., and I say, you know what? I feel comfortable not carrying as much inventory. Do that math.
1: The distance may or may not be the driver of variability. Right, right. I mean, that's do the math. That's yeah. You have to do the math. Look, you don't. These are things. The the days of reflexively sourcing things into into some of these countries are probably over. Well, reflectively setting everything to Mexico. Well, yeah. Well, somebody. You know, there's (laughs) always somebody doing something. But no, it's there's not. So, and I I think I said this to you earlier. Look, it's it's doing this is hard. It's harder. We're operating, the environment that we're operating in now is harder. It's more complicated. It's, we're going to earn our money. Yeah. There's a lot of things that you don't see. There's unexpected. There's all sorts of stuff. And 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 you don't know what you don't know, but you still have to manage to it.
0: I would also suggest, Steve, that there's opportunity in this because- There is. We're seeing, you know, I did this podcast with Jason Miller on frying pans. And frying pans used to be all made in Wisconsin, then it went down south, and then it went over to China. Sure. Well, now we're making frying pans here. When I say frying pans, I mean those skillets. And we thought, oh, how can we compete in something like that? Well, we can. And we will have to. And again, these are just trade-offs that we're going to have to.
1: So you used to be able to compete in it. Then things changed and then you couldn't compete in it. Then things changed again. And now maybe you can in a different way. It's not It's not once and for all time. What it is, is it's who who in whatever the circumstance that you're in can recognize the right solution and execute the right solution. That's and the and whenever things are changing fast, that's a lot. You have to take a lot more things into account. It's a lot harder work, and it requires it requires a higher level of competence to do it. And you know, it's and, and I used this with you before. And like I said, I used to be I used to race sailboats, big boats on the Great Lakes. And when the weather is sunny and the breezes are nice, anybody can sail the boat. When the storms come through. You can, it takes somebody who knows what they're doing, who's better at those things in order to make that work. But if you're that person, if you have that crew of people who's capable of dealing with that stuff, you win because it's, it's because your competition can't deal with it. So the counter, the counterintuitive, China, China's going to hell in a handbasket. Well, okay, whatever. Maybe it is in some respects. But that doesn't mean there aren't opportunities there for the people who know what they're looking at.
0: By the way, and we, we didn't say it here, but um, it's definitely worth saying. I did talk to someone, an automotive guy the other day, and said most t- most times we're uh, looking at better better pricing, better options outside of China. But there's certain things that they're doing extremely well on. And we should also point out, again, China's not a monolith. The south is very different than the middle or the north and we will continue working with China. It's not, it's not, there's not falling off the planet, but there are going to be some big changes there. Well,
1: here's about, I'll try this one on for size. I need, in order to make automotive parts, I need to make 10 million of something, right? I ne- and I need to build a plant to do it. Well, how nimble is that? It isn't. It's not nimble at all. It's dedicated capital and dedicated all this stuff. If I'm, if I need to make 5,000 of something, how nimble is that? It's extremely nimble, right? I can move in and I can go from this place to that place, you know, depending on tools and whatever else. So it's like, so how much risk do I have if I have to make 5,000 versus 10 million in a highly variable place? Well, it's less because, because I'm, I'm putting a more variable, more adjustable, more nimble product in a more chaotic environment. And I can still cope with it. If I have a, if I have, if I have to build a plant and it can only do that one thing and I'm doing it in a highly, chaotic environment, probably that's not going to be good for me. Yep. Yep.
0: So, Steve, I'm going to I'm gonna give a little summary here and then I want you to give some final thoughts on this. So today's topic again is supply chain disruptions are here to stay with my friend, Steve Howell. We talked a little bit about the short-term concerns that we all have and I think we're all dealing with, which is the economy, COVID, political issues, the driver issue, the near-term concerns, which are really the global realignment. And again, a lot of that, what we're talking about is related to Peter Zion. I will put some links to his stuff here. And again, his belief is we're going to see major upheaval in the world as the U.S. pulls back out of some regions because the U.S. has been kind of the world's navy for a while, ensuring that we could have our, our ships move through the ocean without being hijacked or uh, attacked. We talked about China. We talked a little bit about Ukraine. And last but not least, we talked about what we need to do going forward. So, Steve, final thoughts on this bad boy. Put a bow on it.
1: Okay. You need to, if you, if you need to know what to do in any kind of environment like this, first thing is question your closely held beliefs about the, about the environment itself. Then honestly go and look and see how that stacks up in the world. What you think is true may just be habit and the answers to your questions and the solutions to the problems exist when you recognize that some of the closely held beliefs aren't true anymore. And that's where the opportunity is. The people who change the fastest in this deal are the ones that win and survive. Excellent. Excellent. Steve, I appreciate you coming on my podcast. Before you go, one more time, who
0: do you guys serve over at Haxlar? And if somebody wants to reach out, how do we talk to you?
1: We serve primarily U.S. customers with U.S. and overseas sourcing of, uh, of different products. They tend to be medium sized manufacturers that don't have, for whatever reason, experience or whatever the kinds of the kinds of exposure that our teams have had.
0: Yeah, the medium sized companies don't always have that super deep bench where they said we've been moving stuff around the world sourcing wise there's they might not have a dedicated asset there so they might need help from outsiders like you guys
1: yeah I mean in a in a changing world it's it's useful to have you know smart people on your side experienced people and these guys the people the people who we have on our payroll are, are, are all of that
0: and so are you Steve what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and a link to your website so anyone who wants to reach out and talk to you about sourcing they can reach out and talk to you
1: you know we sh- sure appreciate it
0: Yeah. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
1: Hey, I I always enjoy these. Thanks, Joe.
0: Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.